but anyway, we're, we're back in Acts at the church on the move. That's uh, kind of the theme we've been using for the book of Acts. And we come to a new pivot point. Uh, it seems like every week almost uh, that I talk about this, I say that. But Acts is hitting head, uh, highlights of the, uh, of, of the development of, of what God is doing in the world. And, uh, and so it jumps some years and, and uh, doesn't exactly tell you all that. But this is a new point. This is when the first missionaries actually go out. The last time we were in Acts, we talked about them... God calling them to go out, but now we actually see it happening. And within just a few verses here, we see a lot of changes that occur uh, in a lot of lives. But today I call this uh, sermon, Obstacles of the Gospel. Because whenever you go to, to talk or preach or share the gospel, there will always be an obstacle. And the first obstacle in anything anybody attempts to do that is great or greater than themselves is themselves. The first war you got to win is with yourself, whether, you will, whether you'll continue, whether you'll keep going, whether you'll do it, or whether you'll let things stop you. And In this passage, the obstacle is actually a move of the devil, and it's, it's actually kind of a subtle move in one sense, but it's a very blatant move in another. And uh, we see a prophetic spirit arise in uh, one of the individuals that we'll talk about, and he deals with it, and he, and he removes the obstacle. Uh, you know, and, and that's your choices when you got an obstacle in your way. I, when I was a kid, I heard uh, illustration of, uh, you know, back in the 70s, everybody had a bumper sticker, and then they quit making bumpers the same way. So uh, you can still see cars. they got stickers all over the back of them. Usually that's a millennial, but um, not every time. Uh, and sometimes I agree with them, sometimes I don't. I, I quit putting bumper stickers on my car because I didn't want people to, Vandalize my car just because what I had on my bumper. But anyway, uh, but there was a story of a, a, but one of the bumper stickers was God is my co-pilot. And then finally somebody realized that, well, God, if, if God is your co-pilot, you're in trouble because that means you're trying to pilot. So God's my pilot. I, I, actually, I'm just a passenger uh, is how it more or less should work. But, but in, in the sense of that, so, uh, somebody said that, you know, there, the guy's flying an airplane. There's a, a mountain in front and he doesn't think. Uh, and God says, don't worry about it, I got it. And he says, Lord, do you, you see that mountain, right? I, I got it, man, quit worrying. And he goes, Lord, there's a mountain in the way. And he goes, I see it, don't worry about it. And just before they hit it, the guy grabs controls from God, flies a plane around the mountain. And, uh, and he goes, whew, man, that was close. God, what were you doing? He said, look behind us. And he, the guy turned around and looked. He said, yeah, he said, what do you see? He said, the mountain. He said, yeah, well, I was going to remove the mountain. And many times, that's one of our options and obstacles. We can go around them, but you're leaving the obstacle in the way. You don't deal with it. And so that obstacle keeps reappearing and reappearing and reappearing in your life. Well, that's one way to handle it. And, and another way is to remove the obstacle. An uh, uh, illustration I read uh, for today uh, was of a king who, on the way to his, his palace, uh, put a boulder in the, in the roadway. And he then would hide and watch what people would do. And, and many dignitaries and, and people coming to his court would come to that rock. And as I said, they would walk around it and leave the stone there. And one peasant came with his vegetable cart to come try to sell some vegetables. And the rock was in the way. And for whatever motivation, whether to help others or just to, I don't want to go around this thing every time. Or maybe he couldn't get his cart around. He began to work on the boulder and trying to figure it out, and he's struggling, struggling, struggling. Finally, fi figured a way to leverage it off, and he rolled the boulder out of the road. And as he went to get in the cart and leave, there was something on the ground, and he went back and looked, and it was, it was a gift of gold with a note from the king and said, this gold is for the one who removes 
the boulder. There's always a reward to facing your obstacles. Speaking of bumper stickers, a few years back I saw one in a, in a store, just wasn't necessarily a bumper sticker, but a sign that said, face your problems, don't Facebook them. And a lot of us think that, uh, you know, uh, you know we, we just got to let everybody know what our obstacles are and, and on Facebook. And so people rant and rave, and, and I'm, I'm guilty uh, sometimes myself. You know, the Bible says, answer not a fool according to his folly. And I have that, that weakness to do that. It also says, answer a fool according to his folly. You got to judge what kind of fool you're dealing with. But, uh, but there are obstacles anytime in life that we go forward. There, there, are some, there are some things in the history of people who had obstacles. And I would ask you, what is your obstacle? What, what, what today, if, 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 if I weren't speaking, and, and hopefully you're kind of trying to follow me with your, with your mind, but, but maybe if it was just quiet, it was just you, and you would begin to think, where would your mind go? Would it be a lack of money? Would it be... Uh, a health problem? Would, would it maybe be in your family? Maybe a husband and wife not getting along. Maybe a child who's gone astray. Maybe a sick parent or other relative. We all have obstacles that occupy our mind and keep us from, we think, keep us from what we need to do. And, and people in history that, that have had obstacles, because obstacles can bring success. They don't necessarily bring success. When you deal with an obstacle, it can bring success, but we have the wrong definition of success. Uh, because our definition is to remove it. And what I'm going to talk about today is not name it and claim it, all right? That's a, that's a prosperity doctrine uh, that, that people follow in our world, you know. Well, I remember, um, y'all, y'all remember the PTL club back in the day? And uh, Jim Baker, I use him as an illustration because after he got out of prison, he wrote a book, I Was wrong and just the title and him writing that book alone makes me say okay good Um, and actually Billy Graham went and got him out of prison after he got out and took him to his home and took care of him for a while until he could recover Um, just in case you were wondering Um, but but uh, back in the day uh, we lived in South Carolina and where he was was just like three four hours from our home and we went on vacation. We wanted to go see that, that whole big PTL theme park thing, so we did. We did the whole thing. But we went in to find out what you got to do because we weren't going to stay there. We just wanted to visit, see what it was like. And there was a lady in line in front of us, and there was a problem with the reservation. Has that ever happened to you? you go to a hotel, or, and, and you made a reservation. I'm sorry, we don't have you here. And it, It's a big mess, and you're frustrated, and you're angry. Well, this lady, they're, they're trying to deal with it, and she's... And she turned around and held up her hands and shook them and said, Oh, the devil's just attacking us. And I would say, Ma'am, it ain't the devil. It's the clerk. They messed it up. You know, it's like, why are you all been out of shape over a mess? You know, that's not a great obstacle in life. It's a problem. I get it. But, you know, it's a little overreaction. Sometimes we, we make mountains out of molehills, but sometimes we treat, treat mountains as molehills. And that's also a danger. We, we have to live in that tension. I think of people in history, as I said earlier, Edison, and I've read this illustration more and more, and every time I read it, the number gets bigger, sort of like fishing. You know, last time I went fishing, I caught a fish that big. Y'all saw that, right? Of course, South Carolina, the biggest fish I ever caught was eight inches, but in South Carolina, we measure them between the eyes. So anyway, um, (laughs) just in case you didn't know that, but, but, but Edison, I think a closer accurate number tried to... create a light bulb and figure that out, and, and it was over 90 times, I think is the right number. I read the other day, over 900 times. I'm like, somebody added a zero there. 
But somebody said, man, aren't you discouraged? He said, no, I've just figured out over 90 ways it can't be done. Because he knew there was a way to do it. And he was convinced of that. So he kept after it until he could do it. Uh, you know, Lincoln, the first office he ever held was president. He failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. Colonel Sanders got his first Social Security check and said, even the government feels sorry for me. And it made him so angry, he came up with Kentucky Fried Chicken, which we still enjoy today, amen? That was the Chick-fil-A before Chick-fil-A, right? Uh, Colonel Sanders uh, became a believer. I, I, I talked to a friend of mine this week. In fact, I, I've talked to you before about him. He's a pastor in New York, and in and his, and his life, he... Uh, he, he got in he, dealing drugs, doing drugs, I, I can't remember exactly, but he got arrested for drugs. Um, he had a child out of wedlock with a meth addict, um, which he took that girl to, to live with him, and that's how he became a Christian, because they had to find a house to bring her home, and he moved in next to a church member who brought him to church, and he became a Christian. But, but he'd been that, he, he used to do comedy, he used to do wrestling, and he was just one of those guys, and and God saved him, and God began to work in his life, and he went off to school and became a pastor. And then God laid Syracuse, New York, a, a boy from Virginia, got a heart burden for Syracuse, New York, uh, of all places. So he applied North American Mission Board to go to Syracuse, New York, to the north side, to a slum area, a bad area, and start a church. And, and I've told you before, but the final phone call, the guy calls him from North American Mission Board after all the paperwork and a year or two of of going through the process and said, uh, I'm the last guy you got to talk to uh, before we say yes or no. And so the guy started going down. He said, I'm looking at your paperwork here, and I see uh, you were arrested. He said, yeah, before I knew the Lord, I got arrested for drugs. And, and he said, I see uh, you didn't get married till this year, but you had a daughter before that. He said, yeah, we had a child out of way. The guy kept going through all, all the negatives in his thing, and my friend finally said, Man, listen, I know you're the last guy I talked to. It's yes or no, and you're driving me crazy. Just tell me, am I going to be able to go or not? And the guy said, well, thinking about all this, we've just decided that we can't think of anybody more qualified to go to Syracuse, New York, start a church. You see, all the things in his life that were negative suddenly became a positive. And a week before last Sunday, he put out a thing on Facebook, not on Facebook, he sent an email to people that support him and talked about this prostitute that came to know the Lord, and she was going out with him and others to go talk to some other prostitutes, and she pulled a marble out, because they put a marble in there, they make uh, blessing bags, they call them, of, of toiletries and some nice items, and they take them to prostitutes who are working the street and give it to them, tell them how much God loves them. And they put a marble in there with a little card that just says, just like you can't tell where a marble begins or ends, so God's love is eternal. And so I thought, hmm, how can I use a marble? So last week we had the stone that rolls away, talking that way. But guess what? Last night, and I saw the pictures this morning, he baptized that lady. And, it, and the headline said, I love it when you go to baptize three and God gives you four. <laughs> And he baptized four people yesterday to the glory of God. And this past week, I got to talk to him for three hours. We met at Chick-fil-A in Waynesboro. His daughter lives, that, that daughter that he became a Christian because of wanting to raise his daughter away from a meth-addicted mom, or coke, I think it was actually crack-addicted mom, uh, who is now, by the way, doing great. Uh, but she lives in Buckingham County and just had... Her second baby. So he was down. He called me. He said, "We'll have lunch." I said, "Why are you here?" And oh, 
Mandy lives in Buckingham. I was like, are you kidding me? I didn't know she was so close. So we met three, three and a half hours at Chick-fil-A. Just We ate our salads and, and uh, talked about how God had worked in our lives. And, and some of it were obstacles. Yes, yesterday we went, we went hiking. Uh, if you see us on Facebook, you saw some pictures. And, and somewhere along the hike I had to stop because I'm wearing low, low-hanging boots. My dad would call them shoes. You know, shoes that are below your ankles are slippers. Above your ankles a boot. Uh, is a shoe, and then higher than that is a boot. But I called a shoe a boot. And I had to stop. Everybody was walking because something was irritating me. I reached down on the top of that boot, and I pulled out this little pebble because it was cutting into me. And I remembered a Chinese proverb I read when I was a Boy Scout. It was, it's not the mountain in your path that will stop you, but the pebble in your shoe. Whether it's little or big, we have an obstacle, right, to overcome. Well, here in Acts 13, it's a really big obstacle. I, I want you to see in verses 4 and 5 that the missionaries are sent out. Notice what it says in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. I, I just want to make clear that. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago now, when we talked about the call of the missionaries, they were praying and fasting and God spoke to them. And I said that it, it, it doesn't even tell us that God spoke to Paul and Barnabas. He may have. But the, but, the, but the Lord spoke to the elders of that church and said, send Paul and Barnabas. And, and in fact, it had to be a call of God because Paul and Barnabas had, been, had spent a year in that church. They were the ones that had helped get it going and they were the ones that had taught everybody. And it, so in the church's eyes, I'm sure those were their best leaders. Those were the guys that did everything. And God says, I want you to send those two on out to do this again. And so the leaders coming behind them had to let go of them. And so God spoke to the church and said, I want Paul and Barnabas to do more of this. I want you to send them out. And so the church had to be willing, and so they were. And the Bible says they even prayed and fasted more before they did it, and they anointed them to go out, and they sent them out. By the way, as we talk about this today, you can back it up one. I skipped over. Here's what I want you to make sure you remember today. You will always, you will always encounter the enemy when you attempt to expand God's kingdom. That, there's never a doubt. If you plan, if you listen, sign up for a short-term mission trip. I promise you, you'll you'll find the reality of that, because everything will try to stop you. Uh, there's never been a big spiritual thing coming up in my life where there weren't obstacles leading up to it. It happens every week before Sunday, but but there's but when it, the bigger the job, the bigger the obstacles. Now, I don't know anybody ever plans to go on a short-term mission trip that at some point in the couple of few weeks before that just said, I just don't think I'm going to be able to go. And we always say, don't worry about it. God will, God will take care of it because he, he will. But the missionaries are sent out, and I want you to know that they're sent by the Holy Spirit. But the church lets them go. The church is the one who commissioned them and, and sends them out. And so verse 4, they're sent out by the Holy Spirit. They go down to Seleucia, and from there they sail to Cyprus. And Cyprus, remember, is where Barnabas is from. So they go back to Barnabas' hometown. Where are we going to go? Well, I know about Cyprus. Let's go there. So I don't know how that worked, but that's the Lord led them to Cyprus. And they arrived at Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had John, John Mark, uh, to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos... And then let me stop right there. I, I want to go on. But I want to stop just to show you a, a strategy that they use. And, and Paul, in fact, uses the rest of his life. Wherever Paul went, he went to a synagogue to start. 
Now, we kind of just read that and go, uh-huh. But, but I want to give you an idea of what God had done in history. Y'all remember he took Moses and used him. Well, he took before Moses back there. Jacob, he sends Joseph, who went through some obstacles, didn't he? Like brothers that want to kill him. A couple of brothers managed to save him from dying, but still beat him, threw him in a pit, sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt, gets a job as a slave, does great, God blesses him, but then a woman falsely accuses him of attempted rape. He's thrown into prison, and in prison, God blesses him. And he keeps having these obstacles, but God kept letting him know, I'm with you, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And then, in one day, he goes from prison to being the ruler of Egypt. He only has to answer to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh said, man, you're so good, I'm going to take my hands off of it, you take care of it. And so now Joseph is in a place to save his family. And that family uh, comes to Egypt in a famine, and they get to settle there, and they settle. And God uses the mightiest nation at that time of the world to protect that family so they could grow from a, from a family to a clan to a nation. And then years and years, centuries later, he moves them out of Egypt, takes them up to the promised land, to the holy land, where God had promised Abraham, he promised Isaac, he promised Jacob that he would settle his people. And they go in and they take the land and, and, and they settle in there. And they go through all this history, but they forget God. And in 586 B.C., they're overrun by Babylon and they're carried away into captivity. And all Israel falls a, a couple of hundred years, or about three or four hundred years, uh, ultimately, uh, is totally destroyed by then by foreign invaders, and they are scattered to the winds, and God doesn't speak for those 400 years. Well, let me pause the story there, because now we're going to start in the New Testament. If you were Jewish, you could only worship at the temple. You had to get to Jerusalem to worship. Now, the temple's destroyed, and they can't get there, either, either one. You with me? You follow me? And here's where the synagogue comes in. So they said, what are we going to do? And as men always do... When they can't do what God commanded, they come up with a way to try. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes that's good, sometimes that's not so good. This is probably good. So they created synagogues. And a synagogue was made when you had 10 Jewish males in one area. And they would meet there and they would try to learn the word of God, try to get a rabbi of some sort and teach. And so these synagogues are spread throughout the world. Well, what else did God do in those 300 silent years between the end of Malachi and the beginning of of, of the New Testament. Well, he caused a ruler to rise, Alexander the Great, who conquered the world and taught the entire world Greek. And Greek in that day is, was like English is today. It was the trade language of the world. And then he has the Greeks overtaken by the Romans. And the, so everybody still knows Greek, but now the Romans rule the world and they bring a false peace. But in the meantime, the Jews had put these synagogues all over the places they'd been scattered to. So you had people everywhere you went who knew about Jehovah and knew about the Old Testament and were religious people. What better place to go and start talking about the fulfillment of God's word in Jesus? So Paul, start, they start there and they started there everywhere they went. They'd go to people that had an idea and a knowledge of God, but yet not complete knowledge, and they would preach Jesus. In some places, they'd be accepted. Most places, eventually, they would make them angry, and they'd get thrown out. Sometimes there were even riots that occurred. But they would always start there, and then once those people couldn't take it anymore, no, no, he's not the Messiah, Paul'd say, fine, I'm going away. But now he's got folks that believe in the Lord, and he starts working with them. You follow what I'm doing here? That's what God did. He's 
gathered the Jews so there would be people that knew about Jehovah over the known world at that time. You still with me? So it was a great mission strategy that God had implanted in Paul and Barnabas used. So they walked throughout that whole island, always going to these synagogues. And here's what I also want you to notice. Uh, up until this time, it's so the church sent out Barnabas and Saul in verse 2. And they come to this place called Paphos. And I read all these things telling you everywhere. They've crossed an, an, an island preaching. And, and it's until they get here before the God tells us what's going on. And they come to Paphos and they came upon a magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Let me pause there. First of all, the word magician does not mean what we think of when I say the word magician. We think of a, either a sleight of hand guy or somebody can actually do tricks. And those aren't magicians. Those are um, witches and warlocks and satanic worshipers. Um, but... But this magician, this word has become to mean like a wise person. All right? The magi that came to visit Jesus are magicians. Okay? So this word can, doesn't necessarily mean bad. It can mean good. And, and, and so it has this idea of wisdom behind it. And the Romans thought the Jewish people, because of their relationship with the living God, had more insight into this spirit world. And so they loved having... They, they would always have someone who could be a diviner or a seer who could get in contact with the spirit world and give them messages. And if he was Jewish, man, you really had it going well because they thought those guys were better. So you got a Jewish guy who's really contradicting the Jewish religion to become a person who is supposedly uh, wise like this and, 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 and in touch with the spirit world. But what does Bar-Jesus mean? I don't know if that name bothers you, but Bar means son and Jesus means savior. So this, this magician is claiming to be the son of the savior. It's a, it's a, number one, it's a slap in the face of God about who the real Messiah is. And verse 7, he's with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Isn't it interesting? Paul and Paulus, it's the same name there. A man of intelligence. Notice the Bible puts that in there. We live in a world today that thinks you're stupid. You know that? He thinks all of you are idiots that believe in God, that believe in Jesus Christ. Y'all are the craziest people in the world. And if they could just get rid of all of us nuts, they'd be better off. Y'all understand that's the society we're living in now. If you don't believe me, get involved in this world and try to preach Jesus and you'll find out. I'm telling the truth. Well, well... this man is a man of intelligence. You don't have to check your brain at the door to believe in Jesus. In fact, you need to activate your brain to believe in Jesus because he makes the most sense anyway as far as a, being a religious person. Even if Jesus weren't real, still what he said and taught is better than anything else in the world. And, and it's a good way to live. But, but, but actually, faith is an intelligent trust in what God has provided. And so it's not a blind faith. you got to be, no, don't think about it too hard. And people, that, that's, in fact, if you want to know why we have the, the, the guarantee of free speech in America is because the, the laws of this country in the original days in the 1700s were written based on scriptural principles. And they are not afraid to debate truth. We are not afraid to debate truth because we are the possessors of the truth. Only those who have no truth want to shut up other people. 
They want you to believe without knowing any alternatives. Back in the, back in the fight, more fighting days of liberalism in the Southern Baptist Convention, I had friends who got caught up in that. One of them accused me of being brainwashed. And I said, dude, I'm not brainwashed. You're brainwashed. Because I went to a school and I went to a place that taught me everything you know and then taught me the alternative to that. You only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know, and I know what you don't know. <laughs> because my school would give me the same problem that guy believed in and say, go figure that out and then come talk to me. And the next day we'd come back to class or two days later and he'd say, what'd you find out? And we, of course, most of us were confused and he'd start to help walk us through it. Did we? Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And then we would help figure it out. And so if you've got the truth, you don't have to be afraid to challenge us to the truth because the truth won't change. We only get in trouble when we get off of the truth and start believing stuff that's not necessarily so. But the Bible is necessarily so. And so this guy's son of, sal of salvation, Sergius Paulus, is this, is this ruler of Rome. He's a proconsul, and he's a man of intelligence. And he summons Barnabas and Saul to hear the word of God. He goes, hmm, these guys are claiming to have the word of God. He's got a Jewish seer, so he obviously wants to get in touch with that world and he hears about Barnabas and Saul down at the synagogue preaching. Hey, tell those boys come up here. I, I want to hear what's going on. Because for most people, well, really for all the people, this is a brand new thought. The Messiah has already come, has died and rose again. And that was their message. The message of those early preachers was not the cross. It was the empty tomb. That Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, everything he did and said becomes real. Now, everything he did and said is, is important, but it was the empty tomb that sealed the deal. And so they're preaching this resurrected Messiah who died for our sins, who taught God's ways, and Sergius Paulus wants to hear about it. But check out verse 8. Elymas, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name. Now, that is kind of confusing because if you look up the word Elymas, you're going to see magician. <laughs> Because Elymas is the Aramaic word for magician, and they transliterated it into Greek. I don't know how to say the Aramaic word magician, but when I say transliterated, what that means is, and I'm surprised that's doing that, uh, what, what that means is they took the Aramaic letter and they gave the corresponding Greek letter to it and then pronounced that Greek word, Elymas. Okay? And so... Luke just makes the note, I'm calling him Elymas, but just so you know what I'm talking about, it's just the Greek word for magician. And he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. Now, here's how he probably did it. Saul, or Barnabas would say something, and this seer would say, oh, no, 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 they don't understand. You know, if the devil appeared to you the way he really is, you'd run to Jesus. You realize that, right? The devil usually is not stupid enough to be blatant. He's very subtle. He'll give you 1% error and 99% truth. It's what he did when he tempted Jesus. Oh, and he quoted scripture. And Jesus went, you know, you're getting that scripture wrong, buddy. That's not what it's saying. And so you got to be careful. As a human instrument like myself, I'm telling you what the word of God says. I beg you, I implore you, do research. Look it up yourself. Listen, you got to access the same tools I have. Man, when I started... 
had to spend a lot of money to get the tools to do the research. Now you carry it in your pocket on your phone. You can do research like I can do research now. And you ought to study and find out. And here's the danger. When you do that, you're going to find all the wackos who say weird things too. So you've got to have discernment. But you can do the study. You can look and see what great men of God and what others think and say about all these things. And, and so Sergius Paulus would say, oh, no, 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 they're confused. And then he would give that, that satanic bent to it. He'd whisper in Sergius' ears, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. No, it's really like this. You remember when Moses had to go back in front of Pharaoh and, and, and throw down the stick, and then the magicians threw down their sticks, and they also became snakes? And then Moses' snake ate their snakes, and... He turned the water into blood. They were able to do that. And Moses said, fine, that we'll turn the whole Nile into blood. Y'all remember all those stories? Satan mocks everything God does. Now, I want you to reverse engineer that. That means if Satan, if Satan is doing a false thing, there's a reality in, in what God's doing somewhere. Sometimes we, we go off and go, oh, yeah, that, and then we accuse both the believer and the unbeliever of being wrong well get there may be a reality in what the believer is doing but satan always imitates it he always makes a false and all that glitters is not gold is a very true saying when it comes to that satan will give you a false picture of something that god has made to be good and pure and for our enjoyment and he'll mess it up well in our world today if there's opposition the society we live in i'm not talking about reality i'm talking about the society we live in what is our, here's the byword, you got to be tolerant of other people. You know, you, you got to coexist. Y'all seen those bumper stickers, right? And it's got every religion symbol on there. Uh, coexist. We got to all get along. We got to be tolerant. No, we have to be victorious. I, I heard the other day, oh, you know, we, we have to not think of them as our enemies that are to be overcome. Well, no, that's exactly how you have to think about it. We're in a war. This isn't a debate. This is a war. Now, I don't mean we kill people. I don't mean we abuse people. But, friend, we don't take second place. You know, if you're not in the lead, the scenery never changes. That's a shortened down form of, just to make it a little more blunt, if you ain't the lead dog, the scenery never changes. Talking about sled dog. You're just looking at the backside of the other dog in front of you the whole time. You say, well, that's kind of, that's kind of, Aggressive, I know it sounds aggressive. But if we don't go into this battle with that attitude, we will lose. And this is a win-lose situation. But we have to redefine success. Success in God's plan is not that we overcome them and, and beat them down and we are looked at as victors. that we remain faithful unto death. That is success in God's eyes. God gives a physical success here. But there are people in the Bible in Hebrews 11 warns us. They're great people of faith who never saw the promise. Never saw God fulfill the promise he gave them in this life. But they never wavered from believing in God. And God says this world's not worthy of people like that. They are so great in God's economy. And so God defines success as that we don't let go of the truth. But we hold on to it until the end. And so there's this blatant opposition here where, where it seems like Elymas is saying things out loud. He's whispering in Sergius Paulus' ears like, oh, no, 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 that's not right because this is right. And, and, he, and he's just trying to confuse Sergius Paulus. Sorry, I, let me fix that. I thought I'd taken care of that. I'm sorry. I will not make that noise again. All right. 
we, we, Sergius Paulus says this, and in verse 9, but Saul. <laughs> and this is where that prophet spirit rises up. Now, this isn't Saul's first rodeo. I used to think, you know, Saul hadn't been saved very long. This is early in his life and, uh, uh, as a Christian. But as we've gone through Acts this time, I've realized Saul got saved. He spent, and right after he got saved, first time he preached, people wanted to kill him. He's got this kind of attitude spirit going anyway. Because the way he got at them, man, they're, oh, really? And they want to kill him. And so he has to run the desert. He spends three years in the desert, comes back, preaches. They want to kill him. They say, you know, it might be good if you just went away for a while. And he goes away for ten years. And then after ten years, Barnabas goes and gets him. He's had ten years to learn and teach and preach. And after ten years, Barnabas gets said, come help me in Antioch. And after a year in Antioch, God says, send him out as missionaries. I've got Saul to the place now I'm ready to use him. And Saul's, Saul's I don't care if you kill me attitude comes rising up in verse 9 of Acts 13. But Saul, and notice what it says, who is also called Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul's his Roman name. Paul is called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, the preacher to the Gentiles. This is the moment that God says, remember what I told you when I knocked you down the road to Damascus? The time has come. You're going to preach to the Gentiles. You're going to suffer. Guess what, buddy? It's on. Here we go. And this prophet spirit rises up in Saul. And I want you to hear how tolerant and accepting Paul is. Filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me point that out. I can get mean. I'm ugly. I, I know that. It's in my personality. I've got one kid like me. We can look nice on the outside, but I'm really a mean person. I have to, I have to keep that in check as much as I, I allow the Lord to help me do that. I, I, want you to point, I want to point out that Saul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks intently at him and said, verse 10, You son of the devil. Well, now that's not nice, Paul. You need to be accepting. You need to coexist. We need to allow them to speak and Hear what they have to say. You enemy of all righteousness. By the way, there's some references to the Old Testament here, but we won't get into that. Full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. I'm not saying that you all look at somebody and call him the son of the devil. I'm not telling you that. God fills Saul, Paul now with the Holy Spirit. And that was what God wanted him to say to this demonic man. This man who has been demonized. He's full of demons. And Paul recognizes that. God gives him that. I, have you ever been in this kind of situation? Uh, I have been where I've been sitting around a conference table with church leaders and a guy said something and I said, that is a lie from Satan and you need to repent right now. And I wasn't in charge. And then the pastor went, I apologize. He went, nope, that's fine. Because <laughs> it was right. It was true. This guy was spewing something that was divisive and ugly and not loving and restorative at all to a table of brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, anything causes disunity in the church is sin. You know that, right? And, it, and I don't care who did it or what it is. 
If it causes disunity in the body, it is sin. We coexist, but we coexist with our brothers and sisters, not with demons. In fact, Jesus said, light has no fellowship with darkness. And so we see the rise of Paul in this moment. And by the way, if you'll skip past the, end, the last verse, look at verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions. Barnabas doesn't even get a mention anymore. It went from Barnabas and Saul to now it's Paul and whoever's with him. It, Paul becomes the focal point of what God's going to do to spread the gospel. And, and, and we'll see it later in Acts, but there comes a time where Paul wants to go east. And the Holy Spirit says, no. He says, okay, well, I'm going to go north. And he's prevented by the Spirit of God. And then he sees a vision of a man to the west, a man of Macedonia. And he moves in that direction. And, and in Romans, in the book of Romans, he says, I want to get up there to France. And, and not only France, but he's leading Roman guards to the Lord who go into England. And, and as Romans, they go into England to conquer England. And the gospel comes into England through guards that Paul led to Christ. And the gospel comes that way, and so here we sit today in America because of Paul taking charge here and, and going. But, but Paul just speaks to the demons and says, you, you're a son of the devil, you're full of lies and villainy. And he has to confront it. Have you ever had a, a disagreement, I, I hate to use that word, but a discussion about the truth of God with somebody, and every time you make a salient, valid point, they change the subject? Exactly. Because when people don't have an argument, or they, they just change the subject. They come with something else. And you got to stop them and go, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. Let's stay right here for now. That is even more frustrating when the other person doesn't speak English. And I was in Argentina. I think I might tell you all this. And we were talking to this lady. And I'm having to go through a translator. And I, I would say something. And he would say it to her. And what she'd say back would have almost nothing to do with what I just said. And so I said something else. And about the third or fourth time... She said something in Spanish and translated, looked at me and said, she said, I said, I'll tell you what she said. And I told him. He went, because this guy didn't believe in tongues or anything either. And he thought I'd gotten an interpretation of tongues. I said, did you understand her? I went, no, no, no. I said, there's only two ways to respond to that. And I can tell by her attitude and the way she was talking, that's what she said. I quoted her. And I didn't even know Spanish. And I said, this is like trying to shoot a wasp of hornets with a BB gun. Because every time I'd hit one, she'd come with ten different things and didn't have anything. I said, forget it. I'm not going to talk to her anymore. She just keeps denying the Lord. And so he said something to her in Spanish, and we excused ourselves. Well, she came to church that night and got saved. So I was obviously wrong. But, uh, but it is very frustrating when that happens. So Paul just cuts to the chase. says, you're going to keep lying. You're, gonna, you're not going to believe your son. And he says, God's going to blind you for a time. Now, I, you know, some commentators want to make a big deal about, yeah, Paul was blind for three days. And... We don't know what happened to, to this Bar-Jesus guy. But he's seen as not the son of the Savior. He's seen as not a purveyor of truth, but a purveyor of the wrong. But I want you to catch the very last verse here. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I want you to get that clearly in your mind. Because when you read it, you said in your, possibly in your mind, just because we're Americans and people are always looking for the spectacular, he was astonished at the miracle. It's not what it says. The miracle confirmed what he was astonished at, that God would put on flesh and dwell among us. 
and die for our sins on the cross and be resurrected. And he heard that and he was astonished because he's a Roman. He's believed in all this multitude of gods, this pantheon of gods. He's got this guy, he's hoping in touch with the spirit world. And Paul's preaching something that's alien to his ears, that God loves man so much, instead of causing man to have to pay for his sin, he poured out his wrath on his only son, his perfect son, put him on a cross and let him die. But he rose him from the third day to prove that what he said and taught and that what he offered as a sacrifice is valid for all who would believe. And Sergius Paulus is amazed at that. And then when he sees Paul turn and do that miracle, he went, yep, it's got to be true. It's got to be true. He's astonished at the message, not the miracle. And when you read that, you're like, well, I can't go out there and, you know, do those kind of miracles. So we think that stops us. No, you got the same message Paul had. And when God is involved in it, he will make people astonished that God would save them. I love talking to lost people who have no idea about God. Because people that have, some people have gone to church and never heard the gospel, and they've sort of like getting a vaccination. They're inoculated against the gospel. But a man, somebody, first time they ever hear that God loved them so much he would die for their sins, it's, they get excited about that. And Sergius Paulus is astonished at the gospel. And when he sees a miracle, he goes, oh, well, that confirms it. Because you obviously have more power flowing through you than that guy had. Because all he did was whisper and deceive and manipulate and try to move things around. Listen, sometimes God puts an obstacle in your path to strengthen you. God uses this event, this obstacle, to say, okay, Barnabas, it's time for you to step aside and let Paul take the lead. And as that happens, I love Barnabas. Listen, Barnabas is not lessened in the story of the gospel because he had to take a step back and let Paul take the lead. Because he prepared Paul for this day, humanly speaking. He was the guy that discipled him and helped him. And probably, because like I said, the first two times Paul preached, they just wanted to kill him. And he's probably the guy that said, Paul, let me, let me help you here, man. And he helped him to understand how you have to do that. But Barnabas was so nice I don't know that he could never have fire, but God needed somebody that's going to go and break ground where it's never been broken before. Somebody that didn't mind looking the devil in the eye and saying, let me tell you something. And of course, Paul suffered greatly. He outlines all his sufferings later on. Shipwrecked, five times in the sea, beaten. Put to, it, it actually died once, stoned to death, but God raised him up to keep going. He names all the times he was lashed and beaten and left and deserted in the desert and and in the ocean and other places. And God was faithful to see him through it all. But the miracle confirmed what he was astonished at, which was the teaching of the Lord. So friend, let me just tell you something. You can go out and teach about the Lord. And when God wants to save somebody, they will be astonished at that message. And you can do it. Your life ought to verify it. But when you get that obstacle, just smile. Because God's got something under there that's going to be so good. You start working on that boulder. And however God gets you to move it, whether you got to push it out of the way, whether you got to endure it, whether you, no matter what it is got to do, God's got a miracle waiting on you there. It might be the miracle of seeing somebody saved. It might mean that you grow and expand your understanding of who God is. Here's a few things maybe you can take home with you from this. First of all, be sensitive where the Holy Spirit sends you. These men, God called them out to go. 
They could have wanted to stay there in Antioch. They got it good, man. They, they're in with the church. They, they're doing great. And God said, go, so they went. And God led them, and as they're going and preaching, I, I don't know, maybe people were getting saved all on the way. Maybe it was a dry well until this day. But this is the first place that God wants us to see what happened, and it's where Paul takes over. Secondly, confront evil head on. Don't dance around it. Don't call it something it isn't. Whether it's sin in your life that you're allowing in or whether it's an opposition, just confront it head on. Just say, listen, I don't know why you're saying that. And just, I, I, I watch this one preacher and he confronts uh, abortionists and atheists all the time. And here's what I've noticed. He'll debate them and he'll do all the, the stuff like that. And at the end he'll say, can I share one more thing with you? I mean, they're yelling at him, they're cussing him. He'll say, you need to repent of your sins. He says, I pray that you will repent of the evil that you're saying here and, and doing here and that, you, that God will grant you the grace to believe that he loved you enough to die for you and be born and, and to rise from the dead, that you could be saved. And they'll be cussing him as they go out and they go, hey, God bless you, but I pray you'll repent. He just confronts it head on. He never loses his temper. But at the end, he always makes sure he says, you need to repent. You need to come to Christ. And so... Whether it's a sin you're allowing your life confront head on or maybe it's somebody at work. Listen, to see them with the eyes of God. God does love them. But loving somebody doesn't mean that you have to not tell them the truth. You don't want to call them the son of the devil maybe unless they <laughs> cause that doubt in the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit when you say it. But you need to say in your mind, because what did Jesus teach us? He said, listen, you can't go spoil the rich man's house or the, a man's house until you bind the strong man, right? And, he, and I used to think he was talking about Satan trying to bind us. And then I actually read it one day and realized what he was saying is it's no point to go witness until you bind Satan and his demons before you talk to somebody. And if you've got somebody in your life that's that constant irritant and they're calling you names and they're trying to shut you up and they're always like this guy, just realize that it's demonic and say, Lord, you've got to deal with this demon over here. And you look at them with eyes of love and tell them the gospel. Because that's our job. That's our call. And Paul's looking at Sergius Paulus with eyes of love, knowing that God wants him to hear the message. And God tells him, you've got to confront this, this demonic person, this demon in this person. And Paul does that. And he, cre and he confronted evil head on, and he stopped him. And we don't know. Maybe after a few days, this guy got his sight back and went, man, I was wrong. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us a lot of stuff. But maybe he continued in his ways, but I know this, Sergius Paulus didn't listen to him anymore. And then thirdly, preach Jesus and see success. You say, what if nobody gets saved? You'll still see success. Because the only failure is not preaching Jesus. That's the only failure. If somebody doesn't get saved, that, that's not on you. You can't save anybody. But you've got to be faithful to preach Jesus. And when we preach Jesus and we do it in a spiritual way and we're asking God to help us and we stop the, the true enemy is not that person. The Bible, Paul says that later. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and evil and rulers of this darkness of this present age. He sees that. It's not that guy. It's the demon speaking through that guy. And later on, he sees it good enough to write that down for us to, get, to learn from this. That, hey, it's not that dude. It's the demon speaking through him. And so that's who Paul's actually shutting up is the demon, and preach Jesus. And when you do, you'll see success if you remain faithful to the end. But I'll tell you this, I, I believe if we preach Jesus, every once in a while, God give you somebody just to 
encourage you. As you roll that stone away, there's a, there's a prize under there. I think this week of my friend Ronnie. Uh, just, I praise God for that. You know, most men that, and women in this world that were successful were also the biggest failures. When I was a kid, before Hammer and Hank broke the home run record, Babe Ruth was a home run king, and we used to like to say, you know what else he was the king of? He struck out more than anybody. But he kept swinging, and he kept swinging until he broke, until he set the record that took decades to ever be broken. Just keep swinging. Keep preaching Jesus and see what he'll do with it. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you. Lord, sometimes we get discouraged. You tell us in, in uh, the book of Galatians.